Once again, I want to throw out my Happy Mother's Day to everyone out there, all the moms of River Tree Community Church, whether you are a biological mom, adopted mom, aunt, grandma, older sister, or just mother figure in someone's life. They, you make an amazing difference. Um, this is an interesting Mother's Day for me because my mom died one year ago yesterday. And so over the course of this year, it's been really interesting, obviously missing mom and having those kind of experiences of my biological mom. But it's also been so amazing to reflect and receive love from the other kind of motherly figures in your life. So just know whether you are biological mother, adopted, any, any, any of that list, that you are an amazing person and means so much to people. And on the way out, there will be a little chair set up by the door. We have delicious, delicious chocolate bars. If you are a mom in any capacity, grab a chocolate bar and take them with you. They are delicious. I, I may have sampled one earlier. They are delicious. Um, as you can see from the amazing graphic you may have forgotten about because it's been so long, we are diving back into our series, Preaching Through the Book of Matthew. We spent a big chunk of last year here. We got through the first seven chapters. And so I figured I would just give a quick recap of kind of what's happened and where we are in the story so far. Matthew opens with Jesus' genealogy. That may seem like a weird and boring way to start a book, but it's really impactful. It sets the stage for Jesus' life. It sets this idea that Jesus doesn't come from this pristine, perfect family. They don't hide any of the things that the outside world might seem as, well, uh, that's kind of a shady person. We, I wouldn't want to talk about them in the family tree. They bring out all the family skeletons in the closet, lay them out and talk about them to show that Jesus comes from the same broken world we live in. And so that kind of sets the stage for everything going forward. Then we move into the nativity story. We've, we've talked a lot about that, so we're not going to go into too much detail about that. Then Jesus grows up and enters his ministry proper. We have his cousin, John the Baptist, baptize him. Jesus goes out in the wilderness. That's when you have this temptation of Jesus. He's out in the wilderness. Satan comes in, tempts him, tries to get him to do all these things. After that, Jesus sets up his base camp. Does anyone remember where Jesus kind of sets up his home camp at? It's an unusual place. Anyone remember? Don't expect you to. It's a yeah, random. Say. He sets his base camp up in Galilee, which is seemingly weird for the time, because Galilee is the ghetto. You would think if you wanted to start this big movement, you would go to Jerusalem. That's where the religious money was. That's where the religious power were. That's where the people were. Jesus goes to go to Galilee. He wanted to be present with the people. He wanted to be there, be with the people, go full little mermaid. He wanted to be where the people were. Then Jesus starts out on his ministry, gathers a few followers, gathers a few disciples, does a few miracles, kind of gets things going. And then we get to the Sermon on the Mount. And that was three chapters of Jesus' teaching. And some of the main themes he touched on was the fulfillment of the law, how the law points toward Jesus himself, and how that's now being fulfilled in their midst. He talked a lot about intent of action. And we had some discussion about, well, are you doing this just to look good? Are you doing these kind acts just so people think you're awesome, so you, you know, build up your status? Or are you doing it because you genuinely care, because you genuinely want to help people. A lot of examination of that. And then he ends with care for the other. That's kind of a main theme woven throughout the Sermon on the Mount is showing genuine care for other people. 
the love your neighbor as yourself idea. We need to be loving God's people and caring for God's people. That's kind of what we've gone through so far in Matthew. And now when we enter chapter 8, we see an interesting flow in Matthew. So in Matthew, specifically the ministry part of Jesus' life in Matthew, is broken down into a couple different cycles. So you'll have a couple chapters of narrative stuff. Jesus teaching, not Jesus, Jesus doing miracles, going around traveling, having interactions. Then you'll have a big chunk that's a big teaching session, a big dialogue maybe. So for our first one, we had Jesus gathering disciples, doing some miracles, Sermon on the Mount. So now with chapter 8, we're starting that second cycle. So we're going to have a couple chapters of narrative work, Jesus doing miracles, traveling, all that kind of stuff, and then we'll get a big, a big another dialogue teaching section. So a framing device, we're starting the second big cycle of Matthew. So let's, let's dive in and read. So we're going to start in Matthew 8, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. No, that's no. <laughs> Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, go yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. All right, what's going on here? Let's kind of just walk through this verse by verse, kind of get an idea. Verse 1 here is really just setting the stage. This is reminding us that this is happening immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus comes down the mountain. The people that are with him, this same crowd is the crowd that just heard him give the Sermon on the Mount. So they're continuing this kind of same day following down with Jesus. And so this will come up, this idea will be important later, but it's immediately after the same group has just spent you know, an hour or two, who knows how long somewhere in the mat was, but three chapters worth of words for us listening to Jesus teach. And then we get verse 2. So let's touch on leprosy real quick. Generally, when the Bible uses the term leprosy, it is more of an umbrella term. So there is a specific disease leprosy that could be what they're talking about here. But leprosy also refers to any kind of skin ailment. So sometimes a really bad rash could be considered leprosy. It's just any ailment that is on your skin that makes people want to stay away from you, basically, is kind of the umbrella term of leprosy here. And what all these kind of things that fall under this umbrella term have in common is they make the person an outcast. Because these afflictions were so visible, people got the idea that these are super contagious. So I want to stay as far away from you as possible. Or there was the idea that you must have done something super wrong for God to allow this to happen to you, for God to send this to you. I want to stay as far away from your sinful butt as possible. You just stay over there. Because of that, anyone who got leprosy, this umbrella term of leprosy, was a complete outcast. Most of the time they were not allowed in cities. They got no support. No family support, no friend support, nothing. They were completely on their own and isolated. Which makes this interaction really interesting because kind of look at the audacity of this person. They're, he's not supposed to come close, let alone talk 
to Jesus, but he comes out and kneels before him. That takes a lot of trust, a lot of gumption, I guess. You know, he's like, this is my chance. He's not sheltering or hiding away. Approaches Jesus directly. Why? It could be reputation. He knows of Jesus. It could be, and this is not in the Bible, so this is kind of a speculation idea. It could be Jesus just gave the Sermon on the Mount. The leper hiding somewhere, listening. We don't know. But somehow he knows he can go to Jesus. One of the things interesting is the question he asked Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me well. So he believes Jesus can heal him. He doesn't question Jesus' ability to heal him. What he wonders about is Jesus' desire to heal him. Would Jesus heal him? And I think that's a fascinating thing that often gets overlooked. He knows Jesus can heal him. He questions, will Jesus want to? Because for however long he's been afflicted with this, no one has wanted to touch him. No one has wanted to go near him. He has been the complete outcast. So why would this person be any different? Why would this teacher, why would this miracle worker be any different? That's where he's coming from, is this idea of, I know you can, want to. That's the question he comes with. And Jesus picks up on this and registers this idea. Because he answers. Jesus reached reach, reach out his hand, touched the man, and says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. I love this. Just Jesus picks up on this immediately. I am willing. And I love this healing because it's pretty simple. There, it's not showy. There's no big sign acts involved like Jesus. some of Jesus' other miracles do. This one is just simple. Just be clean. He was healed. He was cleaned. There's something I absolutely love about this interaction. Jesus reaches out his hand, touches this guy. Jesus doesn't have to do this. I think reading this, it's not like the touch of Jesus is what healed him. It's he touched the man and then said, be clean. There was no reason Jesus needed to touch this guy, but he did. Why? Because how long had it been since this man had felt a human touch? Complete outcast. He's not even allowed to talk to people. So imagine how much that meant. How much this simple act of grabbing this person's hand meant to this person outside of just being healed, went out of his way, grab his hand, touch him. So I'm going to show a clip from the movie The Martian real quick. For you on the Mevo, I'm going to, it's going to be muted, we're going to turn it away because I don't want Ridley Scott coming after me, so we'll be back in like a minute. But to set the stage for this clip, um, The Martian is about Matt Damon gets left on Mars. We leave Matt Damon on Mars. Um, his crew, there's a big storm, he accidentally gets left, his crew leaves, and eventually they figure out a way to come back, so they 
slingshot around the, the earth and come back to rescue Matt Damon. The clip we're going to pick up here is the first time he has any interaction with anyone. It has been over two years, and he has not seen a person, he has not talked to a person, not touched a person, anything. All communication has been done via texting, via you know, sending messages back and forth. This clip we're going to see here is the first time he hears a human voice in over two years, and just his reaction. And I apologize for the volume. It was working earlier, and then we tested it right before, and it's not working, so it's going to come through as quiet, but it's, the visuals are the, are the big thing. The dialogue's not that important. But just, you see just that emotion coming up of just the first time hearing a human voice in two years. Now imagine this leper. Imagine the emotions rolling up in him. Who knows how long he had been afflicted with this disease, this ailment, whatever it was. Should not have been able to touch, have any kind of human interaction, however long it was. Reaches out and touches this person. How much does that mean to him? That's what a lot of this is about, is addressing the multiple levels of need. We'll get back to touch on that in a second, but I want to finish up here with verse 4. So verse 4, initially, this seems like a kind of a weird set of instructions, right? All right, don't tell anyone, but go to the priest and offer these offerings and such. That, why? Why, why? why does Jesus tell them to do this? Well, this all goes into the idea of how do you become officially unclean in the first century. So someone who was unclean, this is a kind of title they would carry. It had all these exclusions. You couldn't do this, couldn't do this, couldn't do this. To lose this or to become clean, the high priest had to give a seal of approval, basically. So this guy here, even though he's been cleansed of leprosy, if he just runs around and starts talking to people and starts touching people and getting excited, as you probably would, in the eyes of everyone else around him, he's still unclean because it's the priest that has to give the okay that you can now return to society. Until that happens, he's technically still not allowed in society. He would still be shunned, even though he has been clean. So that's what Jesus is addressing here. Jesus is addressing this, all right, I have, you're clean now. I have healed your immediate physical ailment. But now I want to make sure you get back into society. I want to address that next level, your continuing health. So, go to the priest. Go through these steps so that you can come back into society so that this next level of healing can happen. And I just really like how Jesus frames this. Again, this is the idea we've talked about before. Jesus is addressing his immediate need, the healing, but also reminding him, instructing him, I want to care for your future need too, your continued health going forward, your acceptance moving forward. Because if he hadn't gone to the priest, really nothing in his life would change. He would still be considered an outcast. He would still not be allowed in town, still not be allowed to talk with people, even though he had been cleaned. This is Jesus looking after his future as well. And now I want to look a little bit about just the, the context of this briefly. This is coming right on the heels of the Sermon on the Mount, right? The verse 1 establishes, this is the same group of people that just heard Jesus talk about how important it is to care for the other, 
how important it is to love your neighbor as yourself. All of this. And now they actually get to see that happening. They get to see that Jesus doesn't just tell you, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. But actually lives it. How they get to see an example of what this kind of love looks like. How it practically plays out. What it means for individuals. This one thing to talk about on this kind of like theoretical, this is kind of how you should act and this is what you should do, but it means so much more to actually see it tangibly, practically playing out. Heal this person, obviously, you know. More than likely, we're not going to be healing anyone, right? But the touching, the addressing the needs of this person, that's what Jesus is highlighting here. He's showing this is what caring for your neighbor looks like. So how do we translate that for us? What does this mean for us today in this context? I think one of the big things is this highlights that caring for the needs of those who are marginalized, oppressed, outcast, is paramount to the gospel. Sermon on the Mount is maybe arguably the most famous kind of speech sermon of Jesus, right? That's the one most people know. It's the one most often quoted. It's the pinnacle of Jesus' teaching. The very first thing he does after it, the thing he does to kind of bolster, to show practically what this means, is healing a marginalized person. Is reaching out, addressing individual needs, future needs, personal needs. Care for the marginalized is paramount to the gospel. But it's more than just that. There's kind of different dimensions to it. It has to be holistic and personal. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The holistic, caring for the entire person, not just one small specific issue. It can be really easy to just see what we might think of as a Band-Aid solution or a very simple answer to something. And those can be quick and easy to do. And those can be good things. Those aren't bad things necessarily. But how often do we need to dig a little deeper and see what, what is causing this issue? What is the root cause of this pain, of this heartache, this hurt, whatever it is? We need to get to that, address that. We had a really good example just a couple weeks ago. Uh, David from When the Saints was here, right? And he talked about When the Saints is an organization that helps to address and comfort and all sorts, all, a bunch of other things with sexually abused women and children in Malawi. When they started out, they focused solely on the women themselves. They set up counseling, they got doctors, set up schools. All of this focused all of their attention on addressing and comforting and doing whatever they could for these women. But they found the larger problem wasn't getting addressed. If anything, it was actually getting worse. They had to think, how do we address this larger root problem. And so what they came up with was, we need to re-educate, we need to teach the men of this area that what they're doing is not okay. That's where they moved some resources to. They still, they, they took this two-tiered approach. Now, they're still addressing the needs of these victims, 100%. They still have the schools going, they still have the doctors, still have everything going there. But now they have another wing working on addressing the larger problem, addressing 
man, the, you, this is not okay. So they have classes. They're trying to, you know, spread the gospel to this group in hopes that that'll address the underlying root cause. So I think it's a great example of how the initial solution isn't bad. That's great and needed and 100% needs to be done. But they found that wasn't the only thing that needed to be done. That wasn't changing the larger problem. It was reacting to the problem. Those are the kind of things, those are the kind of thinking that those holistic ideas we need to address. When we see an, a problem, address that problem and then think, what is the underlying cause of this problem? What can I do on a larger scale to maybe make it so that this kind of problem, this kind of issue, whatever it is, doesn't happen in the future? That's what Jesus is doing here. Again, with that, go to the priest. He's addressing that kind of on a holistic scale. That big idea of, all right, th this is just healing you is a small thing. Now, this helps you. This obviously helps you. But to really help your life, you need to go through these steps of the priest and all that. The other side of things that I think is highlighted here is that this kind of work, assisting, partnering with the other, has to be personal has to be relational. Remember, go back to the idea. Jesus did not have to touch this person. Jesus could have just, from the back of the room, been like, you're healed. Walked away, and that would have been an amazing miracle, right? This person would have never forgot that this would have been the greatest day of this person's life. Jesus went beyond that. Addressed another need of this person. Their loneliness. They're just complete isolation. He's going to have his way to do that because he knew exactly how much it would mean to them, how important this would be. And now this kind of work, it probably will cost us something because it's something that the story doesn't go on to talk about, but following Jewish laws, Jesus was now unclean. He touched someone that was still ceremonially unclean. Jesus was now an outcast and had to go to the temple prove himself to be clean, do the sacrifices and such. So it cost him something to do this. To him, it was worth it. The small inconvenience it would have cost him to have to go to the temples, to go through these steps to do this, were worth it. Address personalized need of this person. To address this person in their darkest hour. To address them personally. To do what they needed them the most, would mean the most to them. And so today has been a prime example of Jesus putting his love into action. That's a lot of what the Sermon on the Mount talks about is loving, loving the other, loving your neighbor. And so this example is an amazing example of that. But today, as we sit down to do communion together, we're going to reflect on the paramount example of Jesus putting love in action. Dying for us on the cross. That is the height of the greatest action Jesus could take to show love. And so, as you have the elements, does anyone need any? Do we got any? Good, good. Yeah, okay. So, as you take the elements, just sit with that for a moment. Think about that love in action. Think about what that means for you. This kind of tangible, actionable love that Jesus
the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. When he had given thanks, broke it, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us do so together. Same way, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Remembrance. Oops, I went too far. Often as you do in remembrance of me. Um, for as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us do so together. Join us as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful love you have showered upon us, the wonderful gifts you have given us, the gift of your love, the gift of your grace, the gift of your salvation. Lord, we just ask that as we move forward today, we would carry that with us would carry that love in our hearts that fill us up, would overflow us, that we in turn could show that love to those around us, that the amazing grace and love you've so freely poured out to us, we could reflect to others. Allow us opportunities this week. Show us opportunities to be your hands, your feet, your mouth and your heart to our community around us. In your precious name we pray.